Uh, I just want to—I want to share a short meditation, Christmas Eve meditation with you. It is simply called "Let's Join the Chorus of Praise." And what I'd like to do is I'd like to weave together a few lines of thought from the Psalms, from the Christmas narrative, from the Gospel of Luke, and from the songs that we are singing tonight. There's a a great concentration of praise in Psalms 146 to 150. Each of those Psalms begins and ends with the call, praise the Lord, hallelujah, praise the Lord. And, and, And the word praise appears many additional times in the midst of those Psalms. Why do we praise the Lord? We praise the Lord because he is the great sovereign king who graciously cares for his lowly people. Psalm 146 verse 5 to Psalm 147 verse 6 says this, Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant and a song of praise is fitting. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. The Lord lifts up the humble. He casts the wicked to the ground. Doesn't, doesn't some of that sound like the ministry of the Lord Jesus who came to preach good news to the poor, proclaim liberty to the captives, and heal the brokenhearted? Mary sounds some of these themes in her Magnificat. He has shown strength with his arm, she declared. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. One of the greatest lies ever told is that God helps those who help themselves. In fact, God helps those who have no capacity to help themselves. He gathers, lifts up, strengthens, and blesses his people. If it depended on us and our strength, then we would be worthy of praise. As it stands, it all depends on the steadfast love of the Lord. The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. Psalm 147, verse 11. Let Israel be glad in his maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their king. Let them praise his name with dancing, making melody to him with tambourine and lyre. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He adorns the humble with salvation. Psalm 149, verses 2 to 4. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. When we turn to the Christmas narrative of Luke 1.5 to 2.38, 
and Matthew 1.18 to 2.12, what we see is the Lord adorning his humble people with the joy of salvation. The Lord takes pleasure in Zechariah and Elizabeth, in Joseph and Mary, in the shepherds in the field, in Simeon and Anna in the temple, and in the wise men from the east. These passages also, these Christmas narratives, feature a concentration of praise, not unlike the concentration of praise at the end of the Psalter. When Mary greeted her relative Elizabeth, the baby in Elizabeth's womb, John the Baptist, leapt for joy. Mary herself was overwhelmed by the Lord's grace to her and her people. My soul magnifies the Lord, she said, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. Why should we praise the Lord? Because he looks upon his people remembers his promises, and helps them with his sovereign might. Zechariah was literally rendered speechless in consequence of his unbelief at the promise that he and Elizabeth would bear a son in their old age. But when their son John John was finally born, his tongue was loosed, and the Holy Spirit drew his mouth into prophetic praise In Luke 1, 68 to 70, he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. Why should we praise the Lord? Because he has drawn near to his people and raised up the king that he promised to send. Moving to Luke chapter 2. The heavenly host fastened their attention on the baby in the manger, while most of the world kept sleeping or continued limping along or remained clueless. The angels knew that something incomparably glorious was taking place. On the one hand, they knew that the Savior, Christ the Lord, had made his entrance into the world, and yet... The heaven-sent king made his entrance in such a lowly condition as a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. They could not contain their joy, and so they praised God, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased, Luke 2.14. And all this took place in the presence of the shepherds who were out in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night. An angel appeared. The Lord's glory shone all around. The angel declared the good news of great joy to them. And the multitude of the heavenly host uttered praise. And then the shepherds made their way to Bethlehem to see the child. Afterwards, we're told in Luke 2.20, the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. It's important to observe how praise actually works. We hear 
and or see that which is praiseworthy, and our heart is then stirred to render praise to that which is praiseworthy. Praising God is the fitting response to his praiseworthy character, words, and deeds. Thus, the way to stir up praise is to show people God's faithful promises and his redeeming grace. And this is why we need God to open the eyes of our heart and to give us ears to hear so that we can truly grasp his holy splendor and steadfast love. Then there is that righteous and devout man named Simeon who was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And he had the privilege of taking the baby Jesus into his arms. And when he did so, we're told in Luke 2, 28 to 31, he blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. The Savior Jesus is the very embodiment of the salvation that God had planned all along for Israel and the nations. And Simeon saw him. The prophetess Anna, an elderly widow who worshipped in the temple continually, and in view of the baby Jesus having come into the temple, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem, Luke 2.28. Not to be outdone, some months later, the wise men from the east made the long trek to Bethlehem, and upon seeing the child, they fell down and worshipped him, Matthew 2.11. This was no mere going through the motions. They had rejoiced exceedingly with great joy when the star had brought them to the place where the holy family was, and then they presented the Messiah with valuable gifts. Do you see the pattern? John the Baptist, while still in the womb, Mary, Zechariah, the heavenly host, the shepherds in the field, Simeon, Anna, and the wise men. The great work of God in the giving of his son drew young and old, men and women, rich and poor, into the praise of the Most High God which echoes the truth of Psalm 148, verses 11 to 13, which answers the question, who should praise the name of the Lord? This is who, kings of the earth and all peoples, prince, princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and maidens together, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above heaven and earth. Psalm 148, verses 11 to 13. Hallelujah. Glory to God in the highest. Praise the Lord. When the Father brought his beloved Son into the world, those who had eyes to see it burst forth with praise. Why shouldn't we? As the, now, as the gospel of Luke unfolds from all the blessing God, glorifying God, praising God, and giving thanks to God in Luke chapters 1 and 2, these very things continue as you journey through the Gospel of Luke. Here are some highlights. Jesus was glorified by all as he taught in the synagogues, Luke 4.15. After forgiving and healing a paralytic, the observers glorified God and were filled with awe, Luke 5.26. After raising a widow's son from the dead, 
The people glorified God, saying, a great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people, Luke 7, 16. Yes, indeed, and more than they knew, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. When Jesus delivered a boy from an evil spirit, all were astonished at the majesty of God, Luke 9, 43. Jesus cleansed 10 lepers, but only one of the 10, a Samaritan, saw the glory. Then one of them, Luke 17, verses 15 and 16 says, then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Likewise, when Jesus healed the blind beggar near Jericho, the man who recovered his sight followed him, glorifying God, and all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God, Luke 18, 43. When Jesus made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, it says in Luke 19, 37 and 38, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Isn't that interesting? In Luke chapter two, at the Savior's birth, the multitude of the heavenly host declared glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Then in Luke chapter 19, at the triumphal entry, not long before the Savior's death, the whole multitude of his disciples on earth declared peace in heaven and glory in the highest. At the moment of his remarkable death, which was preceded by three hours of darkness, In the middle of the day, the tearing of the temple curtain and the Savior's entrusting of himself to the Father's care, a centurion got a glimpse of the glory. Luke 23, 47 says, now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, certainly this man, Jesus, was innocent. How does the gospel of Luke end? The Lord rose... Luke 24, 1 to 12, the risen Lord appeared to his disciples, Luke 24, verses 13 to 50, and finally the risen Lord ascended into heaven, Luke 24, verse 51. Then what? How does the gospel of Luke end? It ends with this, Luke 24, verses 52 and 53, and they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Now, this is glorious. Luke began his gospel by telling us that something noteworthy had been accomplished among us, and he wrote his whole gospel, all 24 chapters, to tell us what had been accomplished. And when the ball got rolling, when he started to tell us what has been accomplished, it started with the angel bringing good news to the priest, Zechariah, in the temple and in a momentary momentary time of weakness, Zechariah disbelieved and was rendered speechless. But by the time we get to the end of Luke chapter 24, we have learned about all the wonderful things that have actually been accomplished among us through Jesus. Our Lord suffered and died and rose again in fulfillment of of the scriptures so that repentance for the forgiveness of sins could be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. And so Luke ends by telling us that his disciples 
were in the temple having great joy because they had come to understand all that had been accomplished in their midst. Their eyes saw, their minds understood, their hearts had great joy. And so, like Anna back in Luke chapter 2, but with greater understanding, they were continually in the temple blessing God. It is our privilege to join our hearts and voices to this chorus of praise in the Psalms and in the Gospel of Luke. And I want to conclude, before we get back to worshiping the Lord through song, I want to conclude with nine short statements that I've taken from nine of the songs that we're singing this evening and just kind of woven them together to tell the story and remind us why we are here and why it is fitting to praise the Lord. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Jesus, to thee be glory given. Word of the Father, now in flesh appearing. Son of God, love's pure light, radiant beams from thy holy face, with the dawn of redeeming grace, Jesus, Lord at thy birth. Away in a manger, no crib for a bed. The little Lord Jesus laid down his sweet head. The stars in the sky looked down where he lay. The little Lord Jesus asleep on the hay. The King of kings lay thus in lowly manger. In all our trials, born to be our friend, he knows our need. To our weakness is no stranger. True man, yet very God. From sin and death he saves us and lightens every load. He who God's pure, love, pure law fulfilled, Jesus, the incarnate word, he whose truth with blood was sealed, he is heaven's all-glorious Lord. So bring him incense, gold, and myrrh. Come, peasant, king, to own him. The king of kings salvation brings. Let loving hearts enthrone him. Then let us all with one accord sing praises to our heavenly Lord that hath made heaven and earth of naught, and with his blood mankind hath bought. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord, for our great sovereign king graciously cares for his lowly people. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would impress your glorious deeds and great words upon our hearts that we might always have a song of praise within us. In Jesus' name, amen.